hey, we don't have the rights to use this. <laughs> Whatcha, listeners? This is Spare Bit of Parchment, and I'm Paul. And this is Carrie. And this is... Episode Episode four. Uh, This is actually the second time we've tried to record episode four. Someone forgot to hit the record button. We're not naming, but it's a 50-50 chance it's either Paul or me. And it was me. (laughs) Um, But, no, so what we would like to discuss tonight, our topic for this evening, is... uh, the examples of discrimination in Harry Potter and the balance of evil characteristics in Harry Potter characters. Yes. Which sounds like it's really going to be weighty. And guess what? (laughs) It is. (laughs) Say what? So this is all based around an article that Carrie found. Yes. um, On New York Times. Uh, We will provide a link. Yes. So uh, you can read all that awesomeness. And the article is called, Can Harry Potter Change the World? Obviously. Duh. I mean, come on. I don't know why that's a question. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, it's a given, but (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Um, So this article was published in 2014, but it's still very relevant today, I think, especially with recent things going on. Um, But the article focuses, or it opens with, an interesting Facebook survey that they posted to users and it was asking the users which books they found most influential and Harry Potter came in 21% of the 130 lists 130,000 sorry yes 130,000 that's a lot oh yes very much so Carry fail. Anyway, um, Harry Potter topped To Kill a Mockingbird, Lord of the Rings, and the Bible. Even the Bible. Yup. Better believe it. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Pew Research shows that millennials are the most active readers. And then also there's lots of different reports that say millennials also make the majority of Facebook users. So this is kind of... The, the data is a little going to be It's a little skewed, skewed. yeah. Um, not really biased, but, I mean, given the pool that they right. had to pull from, that's why we got it the results like, that we got. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you ask a different age group, obviously they're going to have some have different some results. Right. <laughs> but anyway, from the article, I found an interesting quote that I wanted to mention. Uh, the greatest magic of Harry Potter reducing prejudice. Psychologists led by Loris Vizali at the University of Modena and Reggio Emilia say that reading Harry Potter improves attitudes toward stigmatized groups such as immigrants, gays, and refugees. And I think that's really interesting because we're finding that a lot of millennials are holding uh, positive attitudes mm-hmm. toward these stigmatized groups. Right. Um, it's very rare to find a millennial that is, you know, um, xenophobic or racist or homophobic. Very accepting. Yeah. Like that's just kind of hopefully going away more, you know, and and I think a big part of it is, as Carrie just said, uh, that millennials are the most active readers and reading um, exposes you to new experiences and different Mm -hmm. perspectives and that sort of thing, which allows you to be a lot more um, 
diverse lets you you know be more accepting of different things yeah well and think of all the different types of genres and characters that you can expose yourself to Mm -hmm. i mean there's just a huge variety that you can um learn about right through their experiences and obviously we're going to talk about specifically harry potter but Mm -hmm. reading in general show is shown to make people um more diverse thinkers and that sort of thing so yep but Harry Potter's the best. Is of what course, we're hands at. down. <laughs> um, so, in this article, they mentioned an experiment that they did. And the first experiment involved 34 elementary children that were from Italy. And first, they asked the children questions um, on how they felt about refugees. And they split the kids based on that survey into two groups. One group read passages where the books um, showed examples and addressed prejudice, like when Draco calls Hermione mudblood, etc., etc. The other group read neutral passages, and they found that the first group that read those prejudice excerpts, uh, they actually changed their attitudes towards refugees and immigrants um, because they were able to identify with Harry. And so they're like, interesting, let's kick it up a little bit more. So they went to the teenagers and focused on attitudes towards homosexuals. Um, In Britain, they asked teenagers there and they went again back to the refugee immigrant topic. And again, they would find the students being more accepting towards those groups. I think uh, a big part of that is obviously just growing up and, and feeling um, stigmatized, you mm-hmm. know, uh, it's not always going to be a matter of of being uh, a refugee or or being picked on for something. But you know, everyone's felt left out or, right. or discriminated against, at, at or time singled out. Yeah. So reading these passages and these books kind of helps you to empathize yeah really relate your experiences to the characters experiences very much so um another quote i want to bring out from the article of course there are many factors that shape our attitudes towards others the media our parents and peers religious beliefs writes brett uh yes okay at the scientific american But Vizali's work supports earlier research suggesting that reading novels as a child implying literary engagement with life's social, cultural, and psychological complexities can have a positive impact on personality development and social skills. Right. So, like, just the more you read as a kid, uh, the more experiences you put yourself to well and you put yourself in because i mean maybe i think not everyone but i was gonna say most people i think immerse themselves as the main character as they explore the story i usually feel like i'm like a side character that doesn't talk much you know like he's there like i'm the fourth person in harry potter (laughs) and it's like oh yeah paul was there (laughs) yeah how did we forget about (laughs) him why didn't he uh, help us out with fluffy yeah what's the deal so that's interesting uh, but no i think largely either people insert themselves into the stories in some fashion or another Mm -hmm. usually the main character yeah um and so that's a big thing is like when you're a kid 
you don't have as much to draw upon because you don't have as many life experiences. Right. And so the more you read, the more diverse life experiences you're exposed to. Yeah. Well, and also some people, their whole lives, they're in this very little pocket of the world. They might not ever leave the town or the state. So your experiences are really limited. And your reading can dramatically change that. Exactly. There are, there are studies that show that the more experiences that you have, the more tolerant you are. And mm-hmm. the the thought process behind that is you handle a diversity of perspectives. Yeah. And so if you only have your one perspective, then that's all that you have to draw upon. But if you've yeah. read, you know, a couple hundred books as a kid... <laughs> Like, now you have all the experiences of all those people in exactly. some fashion or another. Yeah. And that can really dramatically affect you. Especially, at least for us um, and the Harry Potter world, the chronology of how it was published and, yeah. and how we absorbed it. Yeah, because the first book was published in 1998. And the last book was published in 2007. So that's a nine-year gap. Yeah. I mean, that's nine years we were, like, routinely exposing ourselves to the philosophy right. and mentality of the characters in Harry Potter. Because I don't know about you, I think I have a pretty good idea, but uh, <laughs> every time a new book came out, I would always reread all the previous books. I read them every year. Yeah, so, yeah. right, yeah, me too. Would, would you go to the Midnight Party? Did we already talk about that? Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't think we talked about oh. it in previous episodes. Okay, yeah. Did you go to the Midnight Parties at Barnes & Noble? No. Oh, I totally was. Yeah, you, I totally was. I remember you asked me to come for, I think, for Cursed Child. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, uh, I gotta no. go. <laughs> <laughs> This was back before we were starting the podcast and yeah. before we were talking a bunch. So anyway. Uh, oh, well, I, I just made a note. Um, I didn't start reading Harry Potter when it first published. I started reading right before the fourth book came out. Um, I started reading in 2000, so I was 14. So I waited a couple years. And for me, I actually, um, I read them when they first came out. The first three um, as they were published and released in America. Um, I got up super early and I waited at my library to open so I could be one of the first people to get it and make sure I got it. We'll see. And in the previous recording, I was saying to Carrie that like, I have zero recollection of what prompted me to do that. Like I didn't, this was pre-internet, you know, for the most part. So it wasn't like I was researching Harry Potter. I don't know if I was like seeing about this in like scholastic book things or something. I remember um, right before I started reading them, there was a scholastic like newsletter that we right. got in school, and they talked about Harry Potter. And then shout out if my friend is listening, um, Derek, he had the books, and he's like, "Yeah, they're really good. You should read them." So I like stole all of his three books <laughs> and read them all. But yeah. So I was ten when they came out, and when I started reading them, um, and then so I would have been uh, almost I would have been nineteen. By the time it was over. So I aged relatively similarly. You know, so Harry starts at 11 Mm -hmm. and he ends at 17. So I'm growing up with these characters. Carrie's growing up with these characters. And we're experiencing, you know, like life issues and just all the various things that go into a teenager's life. You know, like relationship problems Mm -hmm. and school troubles. And also learning about the adults you really look up to. 
who they were when they were actually younger and your current age. Right, because as you get older, you start to learn more about your parents mm -hmm. and your teachers and what makes them who they are, yep. that sort of thing. And Carrie touched on a really interesting point in the previous non-recording <laughs> where we talked about how Dumbledore, um, being such an influential character, having him have character development yeah. um, is a really powerful thing. Yeah, because he started out being really prejudiced against muggles, but then he saw, hey, this is actually really bad, and I don't agree with it anymore, so and he became a huge advocate. Right. And Put it was, but it was traumatizing to Harry right. to realize that Dumbledore had that past. And Yeah, exactly. It was, uh, you know, you, he had this image of who he was, and... Um, this this perfect individual, this uh, infallible, yeah. knowledgeable person, now holds views that are abhorrent to Harry, and I think that's a double interesting thing because, yeah. like, at first it's like, Harry, just shut up and <laughs> just deal like, with it. <laughs> it's Dumbledore, like, calm down. But yeah. at, on the other hand, like, I think um, going back to what we talked about previously, where characters or people are exposed to these characters and how they handle things harry's just extreme disgust mm -hmm. is kind of indicative of how you should feel like right. where you or or how it makes you feel you know where yeah. where you um are approaching intolerance and seeing it as a as an ugly thing mm -hmm. you know and that's something that is repeated throughout the book um, and we have several examples here um, and how JK utilized them. Yeah so some of the evil characteristics that she um, puts in her books she um, tends to have Draco do a, more of like a classist prejudice. Uh, he really attacks Weasley for being poor and not being, you know, the true wizarding blood type family, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Ron snorts uh, when he hears Malfoy's name for the first time. And so then he says, think my name's funny, do you? Uh, no need to ask who you are. My father told me all the Weasleys have red hair, freckles, and more children than they can afford. And it's just scathing to say yeah. that as an 11-year-old no to another 11-year-old. Yeah. Like... Hey, you're poor and nobody likes you, and there's a bunch of you. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. And this other quote I find um, a little bit interesting because you get a sense that everybody kind of has this attitude towards mm. Hufflepuff, so it's not just Draco. <laughs> but uh, he says in book one, um, when he's trying to tell Harry, hey, ditch Ron and be friends with me. He's like, well, no one really knows until they get there, do they? But I know I'll be in Slytherin. All of our family have been. Imagine being in Hufflepuff. I'd leave, wouldn't you? And then um, opposing that in the end of book seven, the epilogue, Harry's son is like, ah, oh, yeah. I don't want to be in Slytherin. Like, ah, what do I do? And, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing. But yes, I think there's a lot of prejudice against Hufflepuff. <laughs> Even I'm like, oh man, they're a bunch of duffers, you know, as Hagrid would say. They're just hippies. Yeah, basically. Like, they like Easy to going. eat and, and hang out. Yeah, or have, you know, pretty boy yeah, right. Quidditch players. <laughs> exactly. 
But yeah, and then he, you know, goes so many quotes about Ron being poor. Another one is Weasley would like a signed photo Potter, smirked Malfoy. It'd be worth more than his family's whole house. There's a, a comedian, John Mulaney. He he talks about how kids are the worst people. Thirteen-year-olds are the meanest people in the world. <laughs> they terrify me to this day. If I'm on the street on like a Friday at 3 p.m. and I see a group of eighth graders on one side of the street, I will cross to the other side of the street because eighth graders will make fun of you, but in an accurate way. They will get to the thing that you don't like about you. They don't even need to look at you for long. They'll just be like, ha, 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 ha. Hey, look at that high-waisted man. He got feminine hips. And I'm like, no, that's the thing I'm sensitive about. So... Obviously, Ron is, like, super self-conscious about... Well, yeah, because every time that happens, he gets very upset, and yeah. he starts griping, like, I hate being poor, and mm-hmm. all that jazz. Why is everything I own rubbish? Said Ron furiously. JK ramps it up before this stuff is even said, where, like, he he has, what is it, egg salad sandwiches? Uh, it, or corned is it corned beef? It's yeah. corned beef, I'm sorry, yeah. So he's got corned beef sandwiches, and Harry is like buying all these candy bars yeah. and stuff like that. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna buy any of that. Yeah, and like, I then just he got feels my miserable. little sandwich. Right, and then boom, Malfoy's like, haha, you're poor, and yeah. it's just you know relentless. Mm-hmm. He is uh, beyond uh, classism um, and and making fun of poor people. Uh, Malfoy is also would racist be the right word here, do you think? Mm, for wizard... Versus muggle... Yeah, in words, wizard termination... Or is that the right word? Terminology? Yes, thank you. <laughs> I am failing today. Anyway, it's okay. Uh, I would say yes, it would apply. So, yeah, I mean, at the very least, it's analogous to racism mm-hmm. because muggles and wizards are still people. Like, they're all people. Right. But... Malfoy considers them to be inferior people. St. Potter, the mudblood's friend, said Malfoy slowly. He's another one with no proper wizard feeling, or he wouldn't go around with that jumped-up Granger mudblood, and people think he's Slytherin's heir. Even be behind closed doors, he's um, talking to who he thinks are his friends. Right. Um, and, his and, cronies. Yeah, exactly, and and just... Calling people beneath him, mm-hmm. which... I, Holier I, than thou. Right. You know, he, he sits in his uh, ivory tower. Or what well, and you. he also gets a lot of entitlement kind of feeling because his dad, you know, donates a lot of money to the ministry mm-hmm. and they kind of get a little... Kickback? Um, yeah. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> but yeah, there's tons of examples with... Malfoy and classism and some racism in there as well. But another negative evil character characteristic she brings into the series is um, xenophobia. Xenophobia. I always fail at that. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) So I'm going to take a break here to make Carrie feel good about herself. Yay! I want that. (laughs) (laughs) That... Typically, when people have trouble pronouncing words, it means that they're more well-read 
Really? And they are well spoken. So okay. that means that you that makes sense. that you've read a lot of these words, yeah. but you haven't necessarily spoken these words. So And I don't speak a whole lot. Right. As you probably noticed from the first couple episodes. But <laughs> <laughs> I didn't let her get a word in edgewise. Uh no, so the, the the theory being that, you know, you probably understand what xenophobia means, but yeah. that doesn't mean that you know how to pronounce it because right. you're not talking about xenophobia <laughs> every day, you know. Yeah. So but back to our regularly Oops. scheduled programming. Yes. <laughs> Umbridge. She fits that to a T. <laughs> I don't know. By I guess... how she interacts with Hagrid. And... Right. And just her attitudes toward any kind of half-breed that comes along, right. whether it's people or centaurs or what have right. you. Um, and there's one quote that I found and she says, that's right, said Umbridge in an evil higher voice. So be careful. By the laws laid down by the Department for Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures, any attack by half-breeds such as yourselves on a human... And then the, the centaurs are like, half-breeds? Oh, breed? hey, no. <laughs> you know, uh, because that's that whole superiority thing mm -hmm. where she's trying to leverage herself as being... Uh, above them right because of and they're savages of how they were born you right know, something that is not within their control you know yeah uh, which goes back to Hagrid and that sort of thing where he's discriminated against because of you know his half giant status and that yeah. sort of thing well and where Harry and Ron are like well what's the big deal like yeah. who cares you know well and when she goes to observe his classroom she purposely tries to play on that by making him uncomfortable and kind of saying that he doesn't really understand English. Right, yeah. And he's a buffoon. And, and then Hagrid's like, no, you don't understand. Like, you're... And then he gets all distracted. Yeah. Poor Hagrid. <laughs> but yeah, she definitely plays off on those weaknesses yeah. to make herself feel smarter or more mm -hmm. important. Or exactly. Whatever her goal is. Right. And then there's Lucius Malfoy. Basically how he treats Dobby, where... Yeah. You know, he's just really um, awful toward him. How he treats uh, Arthur Weasley, where he talks about how he's a blood traitor and that sort of thing. How he hangs yeah. around with, you know, I think it's like these people. I think he even says these people. Yeah, he doesn't he's even... To... He's so blunt and he doesn't have any shame Right, on yeah, it. he doesn't hold back at all. Right. Um, and then, I mean, that even can be rolled into uh, Barty Crouch's treatment of Winky yeah. and that sort of thing, where Barty Crouch is actually considered to be a very um, good and noble person. You but know. he treats Winky like crap. Right. And so it kind of brings into question, you know, like where his values are. And mm -hmm. so that's another great lesson that JK inserts in there where it's like, right. all right, you know, the world isn't divided into good people and death eaters. No. Harry. And, uh, Sirius says that. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. That's the thing is like Barty Crouch has some real issues with mm -hmm. how he views family and how he views, um, other species and that sort of thing. But well, and just like dominating and trying to control mm -hmm. those who view differently. Than yeah, him. exactly. So like everything has he's he's as Dursley-ish as a yeah. wizard can be, you know. Um, and then obviously there's the uh, the big bad, yeah, uh, 
Mr. Voldemort the one himself. The who takes the cake. Uh, and so he's obviously racist, you know, um, in in the the context of the Harry Potter world, where he, you know, wants to see the eradication or enslavement of Muggles. Mm-hmm. Magic is might. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so purity of blood being important, and there, I mean. Anyone can tell you that there's a real obvious parallel to um, Hitler where, you know, they enacted eugenics and and the killing of the Jews and prized Aryan bloodlines. But Hitler himself wasn't blonde and didn't have blue eyes and Voldemort is half blood. It's this sort of like uh, self-hating, it's a way... To feel superior. Yeah. And know. that description of self-hating, I think, is a very good on-the-nose mm. kind of thing. Um, because, yeah, he's denying the fact that he is half-blood. Right. To make he him feel He kills his better. own father. Yeah. You know. It's sad. <laughs> it's very sad. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and it's just interesting on how he got that mentality... You know, like, how, how did that develop? Uh, right, yeah. So, I think for Voldemort, uh, the, the big thing is his feelings of superiority were developing before he even got his abilities, you know. Or, well, as he was getting his abilities, as yeah. he was younger. He was using his powers on other children and animals. You know, I can make animals do what I want. Yeah, um, I think... The resentment towards Muggles really hit hard when he found out he was a wizard because mm-hmm. you know he has yeah. these abilities and he's like, oh, my my sense. mom was a witch and she had these abilities but she couldn't stay alive to raise me. Mm-hmm. I think that really well, yeah, and, was the, and that's the thing is like he thinks his dad is a wizard because that's his, true. His it was mom, at first. It was, his yeah. mom wouldn't have died because you know she would she, have been able to escape death, right? And then when he finds out that she's the witch and Mm -hmm. all those feelings come bubbling out and then his resentment toward his father for being a kind of a deadbeat, you know, leaving him, uh, to, to rot, um, really cemented that. And then just the, the feeding in of it, it kind of all goes together with his, his quest for immortality, um, you know. How do you get people to do evil things? You capitalize on their fear and their yeah. their intolerance and that sort of thing, and get them or even just their um, gullible mind, right? Because some are just really naive and they don't really think any think about things, and mm-hmm. so he's able to persuade them, right? And then they get locked in to that way of thinking, right? So turning the shoe on the other foot. Um, we've talked about like what makes characters um, evil and how JK uh, showcases those things. But another thing that she does is um, explains how these characters are affected by those things. Those negative characters. Those negative characters, which, you know, offers children an insight into a perspective that they didn't have previously. Yeah. So um, Neville is a good example. Um, a great example. Is a great example. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's a pure blood, but he's considered to be kind of weak and, you know, 
he's bullied a lot. Yeah, he, he gets bullied, and even by his own friends, he, he gets passed over quite a bit. Well, you know? they even attack him when they go mm-hmm. save the Sorcerer's Stone. Right. They're like, we're going to turn you into a board. Right, and then, like, <laughs> they try to avoid him mm-hmm. in, like, uh, the DA meetings and yeah. to some effect. Or because, another. I mean, he's kind of clumsy, mm-hmm. but... But then his character develops, and I think uh, a part of it is um, being close to greatness, but also being beaten down by somebody. You know, it makes you want to persevere. So I think you kind of see Neville turning around in book five, really, Mm -hmm. where he goes to the ministry to help find Sirius, you know. And sure, he's not, you know, Hermione. But he's still getting pretty good with a wand, and he's he's being more effective. And he doesn't cower from the Death Eaters. Right, that's a big thing. So, like, while he might be a less experienced wizard, he's still willing to stand up for what he believes in right. and his friendship. He becomes uh, extremely loyal. And that's a big thing is, you know, when you try to squash somebody, the people that they hold dear become more important to them, mm-hmm. you know. For sure. Uh, the only thing that defeats hate and fear is love. And I think Dumbledore would say that. You know? Yes. Um, so then uh, another example uh, is how Hagrid is affected by the discrimination. Um, he wants to quit his job because he's expecting to get a whole bunch of letters from people. Saying, well, and he does. He does. But most of them are good letters. You most know? of them, but... Those small negative ones right. really break him. They do. Oh, but then Dumbledore says, if you're holding out for like 100% approval, you're going to be waiting a long time. And he's yeah. like, I don't even have 100% approval. Come <laughs> on. So like that kind of um, relationship dynamic where, you know, you have to realize that you can't take all that negativity to heart. You can't let that. Well, and also it shows that their negative trying to make you feel guilty or whatever it is or shame mm-hmm. they can only achieve that if you let them absolutely have yeah. that so if you don't feel shame or if you don't feel guilty about something then their fire is gone they don't have any power over right. you mm-hmm. and i think dumbledore uh, really drives that home where it's just you know you can't expect to please everyone you can't um and and you know the people look at the people that are saying these negative things you mm-hmm. know like what are they worth to you most of them are strangers yeah so why should they affect you right exactly another character that develops over time um on the good side um <laughs> is Ron, who initially in book four is very not anti house elf but, but he thinks it's kind of a joke yeah he's complicit he's like, not serious about it no he thinks that house elves they like their situation so why mess with it you know they're happier this way he says and it's like well they're still slaves yeah like you yes dobby is an extreme example of of a house elf that wanted to be free and that isn't necessarily the the rule Uh, it's more the exception but that you know only emboldens other house elves and over time as Ron has more exposure to house elves in a situation where they're not taking care of him, they're saving his life. 
Well, yeah, I think Creature played a huge role mm-hmm. in changing his mindset and Dobby towards, you know, when they're in the manor. Right. But he was able to actually see Creature being this really annoying, pitiful kind of character, like mm-hmm. kick him out. Then he saw, once they started treating him more as an equal, how actually nice Creature was. Right. And so I think that played a big influence on him. Mm-hmm. And then... I think also another huge turning point was, I think it was in book seven, yeah, um, where Creature finally tells his story yeah. of going to get the locket and how, you know, he has to obey his master. You know, he has to go and be with Voldemort and drink this awful potion and yep. see that it work and then get abandoned by his his owner. Owner's not the right word, but... His master, excuse me. Yeah. And uh, just how, you know, he was resigned to his fate and... uh, With no say. Right, at all. And so I think that had a deep impact on him. Until Mm -hmm. finally, at the end of the book, in the final battle, he... Let's save the elves! Yeah, he's the only (laughs) one that brings up the house elves. Yeah, Hermione didn't even think about it. No. And, furthermore, Harry says... So they can fight? (laughs) And and Ron's like, well, we can't make them fight for us. You know, like, that's wrong. But they shouldn't be trapped in the, you know, the basement or the dungeon or whatever and be slaughtered. Exactly. So I think having a main character develop like that is really telling. Um, It helps out uh, people that maybe held views that are less than savory yeah uh, kind of grow um and i think there's a dynamic that uh really helps foster that um that that helps children get new perspectives but also helps the characters in the book have new perspectives yeah um so basically the three main characters harry ron and hermione all come from different backgrounds and different um, bloodlines, basically. So Harry's a half-blood, Ron's a pure-blood, and Hermione is muggle-born. Harry came from a smaller family that was abusive, but, um, and he's an overall, like, kind of average student. Like, he's not an overachiever. He's, he does have some skills. He does pretty well. Right. Ron comes from a large and loving family. Mm -hmm. You know, he's kind of a middle child, yeah. But, like, they care about him, obviously. But he comes from a poor background where, you know, they don't have a ton of money. And, and that causes a lot of stress. Yeah, a lot of problems and, and uh, bullying that he receives and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then Ron is often the more common sense uh, person. Like, well, why don't we just try this? And usually complicated stuff is lost on him (laughs) um hermione comes from a small family you know it's just uh her and her mom and dad and we assume that they're pretty well off they're both dentists so so you would think comfortable yeah right and then she's extremely magically gifted so Mm -hmm. you have these the trifecta the these three people that all come from very different backgrounds but are friends anyway so you might be saying to yourself like well they're all 11 they're all british they're all white they're all wearing gryffindor yeah you know but 
in reality, there are a lot of differences, and that helps them foster new perspectives and new ideas. And right. That sort of I thing. mean, look how Hermione rubbed off on Ron with the house elves right. kind of thing. And, I mean, even Ron, before he, like, knew... I think before he knew he had feelings for Hermione, was very much uh, against the usage of the word mudblood. You know, right. he tries to, to strike out at Malfoy. I think a lot of that comes from his father, which that's everybody's first teacher is their parents. Right. You know, so you'll notice that in the books, a lot of the characters are very similar to their parents. Mm-hmm. You know, in one Yeah, well, other. and even um, Molly, she refrains from trying to really insult others. She might feel um, negative towards Fleur, mm-hmm. but she won't directly yeah. diss her, you know, kind of thing. Or Tonks, like, knocking stuff over. Yeah. Like, you know, she doesn't... Uh, she, she's considerate of other people's feelings. Right, exactly. So she she might be annoyed, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to she's gonna jump totally on Totally bash somebody. Right. So, I mean, obviously... To bring this back to the beginning here, the idea of can Harry Potter change the world? Are these these ideas of discrimination and evil the reason why um, millennials are more empathetic? Mm-hmm. Millennials that have read Harry Potter are more empathetic. Right. I, I mean, I would definitely say that's a huge part of it. Yeah. You know? um, well, and even just as we've been talking about reading and watching these characters develop... Mm-hmm. into who they are i mean that says a lot right and i i know as carrie said earlier she reads the rereads the books once a year and i i'm probably about that often um i might miss it and do it like a couple months later or something like that yeah. but like yeah i'm always and and i've definitely in the last year i've re-listened the audiobooks three times nice within the last year so it's something that, like, I I consider it to be almost like religious studies, you know? Yeah. Like, I know that's a little much to say, <laughs> but, like, I'll listen to it on my way to work in the car, you know? Like, as I'm waking up, as my mind is clear, you mm-hmm. know, like, trying to absorb these things. and. But they give a lot of content to dwell and mm-hmm. think about. Right, and how would I behave in this situation? Right. You know, um... I think there's dozens of Tumblr posts that say, like, if Voldemort were to happen, I would fight him. And it's like, I think you can actually say that. Like, I think you can really mean that after having read the books a number of times. Yeah. Like, it teaches you how to make the right choices and that sort of thing. And just throwing it out there, just a random comment. Mm -hmm. There are two philosophy books based on Harry Potter. I have not read them. What are they? Um, the first one is Harry Potter if Aristotle ran Hogwarts. Mm. And that's based on books one through four because the rest weren't published at that time. Mm. And then, um, what is the second one called? I can't remember. Well, what's that one about? It's just more philosophical topics sure. and how you can use um, examples from the Harry Potter book to um talk about those issues right. i'd recommend them They're yeah no, I, i'm definitely gonna check them out yeah. um, obviously It'll make for better shows <laughs> um but yeah so i personally think that it should be required reading um here here yeah you know, i would agree it it's 
simple, but it's got great vocab words. It's not too difficult to, to go through. It's not classical literature per se, but I think it's the new classic, you yeah. know, like this is for whom the bell tolls of our generation, you yeah. know, or, or what have you. But it's very approachable yeah, and digestible. And a lot of it also just hits home. Yeah. Like it's experiences that you have or you know someone that has had those experiences and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Well, especially now with us being so connected to everybody mm-hmm. across the world. Whereas right. back during the classical, when those classic novels were written, I mean, it's kind of very limited how you outreach those people. Right, yeah. So. Whereas now you might be involved with people of dozens of different backgrounds, right. dozens of different ethnicities and cultures and that sort of thing. And you can move so quickly between continents, whereas mm-hmm. before it takes ages to right. get somewhere. So there's a wealth of knowledge on discrimination and intolerance and how, I mean, anybody that's discriminatory or prejudiced in the book always gets their comeuppance, Mm -hmm. you know? And I feel like usually in a way that teaches them something, Yeah, you know, this isn't always the case, but like, for example, classical style umbrage, you know, gets roughed up by (laughs) the centaurs, you know, like uh, eye for an eye sort of mentality. But like Malfoy um, gets... A little caught up it's almost like he joins a gang and mm-hmm. he gets more than he bargained for he realizes it and he's like right. i'm not so sure anymore but yeah. he doesn't know how to get out yeah and then even when he's like close to getting out like he reverts back to old ways and that mm-hmm. sort of thing but he eventually i mean obviously there's some level of transition there where he and harry are on not in terms, maybe not on speaking terms, right. but, you know, they see each other and they're at least somewhat cordial. And, uh, you know, I, I think to have these characters that that are awful get their comeuppance, yeah. um, usually yeah. in a fashion that is, is uh, related to their discrimination. Yeah. You know, so, um. like... But with, like, the Malfoy family, they might not have gotten what they deserved kind of thing. Sure. But during the last battle, they did realize, hey, we don't want this anymore. And they were so, the parents were so focused on finding Draco to make sure that he's safe. Right. They thought he could have been dead. And it's yeah. like, that so makes they, you think, like, oh, you know, these other families are probably wondering if their kids are dead. Right. So they kind of gave up on being a Death Eater, but they still kept close so they can try and... Um, have an excuse to find Draco in a safe way. Because mm-hmm. if they fully betrayed, they would have been killed. Right. But so I thought it was interesting after the last battle when everyone's sitting and celebrating, but the Malfoys are off to the side because they can't they come know. in and celebrate yeah. because they're not part of that group. So they're kind of just awkward. Mm-hmm. Another great example of the counterbalance to the evil and discrimination, Harry always gives an opportunity to save someone Mm -hmm. you know he tried to talk Voldemort out of the final battle he saved Malfoy and Crab no 
It's pronounced crave. Is it crave? Okay, well, my bad. Well, I think it's crave. Oh, well. Either way, I think he died, didn't he? Yeah. And then Goyle got out. Yeah. Okay, so he saved Goyle and Malfoy. And, like, Ron even said, if if we die because you tried to save them, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> you know, real, real astute there. Um, but Harry doesn't care because he knows that what is right is not always what is easy. And right. he should save these people and give them an opportunity to redeem themselves. Right. You know, um, and that's the thing is we, you can't fight intolerance with more intolerance. You can't. As the Dursleys found. Right. <laughs> Love trumps hate. Yeah. You know, you, you can't fight fire with fire. It doesn't, it doesn't fix anything. No, it just keeps destroying. Uh, to wrap it up, I know we covered quite a wide variety of topics <laughs> there, but I think you get the gist of it. Uh, uh, and if you have any comments on this particular episode, we'd be happy to hear them. Yes. Um, Basically, Harry Potter can change your worldview. I, I, I do I do think so. I mean, the constant exposure to making good decisions really can have an effect on you. You guys probably already know that. We're preaching to the choir here. But... Yeah, it's all good. It's <laughs> nice to talk about. Well, we appreciate you listening, and we'll catch you next time on Spare Bit of Parchment. I'm Paul. This is Gary. And we don't have a good way to say goodbye. So. Not yet. We'll think of something. We'll see you later. Adios. <laughs> and what is this? Snape had picked up the map. Harry tried with all his might to keep his face impassive. Spare bit of parchment, he said with a shrug. Hey, are you a major Harry Potter fan? And did you enjoy listening to us geek out? Do you want to geek out with us sometime? Message us and let us know if you'd like to co-host a, a podcast with us. Or if you have ideas that you would like us to cover in the future. Yeah. Uh, topics. Things that we're not um, covering yet that you want to hear more about. Or... We can push it up the queue. And don't forget to send us your comments. <laughs>